Enjoy the game by Lionel Burney. Chapter 25 Call Me Ari. Elton could be impulsive and impatient, and this was one of those times. When he got an idea in his head, he had to see it through before his interest waned. Graham Taylor's impending departure seemed to reignite his passion for a football club he had been thinking about selling. For some reason he felt invigorated, ready to make a decision, and he knew instinctively who the next manager should be. His conviction was absolute. It was so blindingly obvious. The supporters so reassured by the united front that the manager and chairman had presented for so long, would be thrown into a state of confusion and insecurity when news of Taylor's departure reached them. It is not overstating things to say that the effect of losing their manager would hit some supporters like a death in the family. He had been at the helm for ten years, and in that time children had become teenagers, and teenagers adults. Many did not know what the club was like before he arrived, and those that did could barely remember. Taylor's signature ran through the club like the lettering in a stick of seaside rock. To many, Graham Taylor was Watford Football Club. The architect, the foreman, the labourer, all rolled into one. Yes, it was Elton John's club, and his money that provided most of the materials, but Taylor had outlined the vision, dug the foundations, and laid the bricks. So it was understandable that the chairman thought that the best way to soften the blow would be to have a successor lined up, ready to unveil. Time was running out. There were only a few days before Elton was due to fly to China with the team for an end-of-season tour. They would be away for three weeks, by which time the football world would be on holiday. Then pre-season training would be upon them, and most clubs would be unwilling to let their managers depart so close to the new campaign, which would shorten the list of potential recruits. Far better to be decisive and spare the supporters and players weeks of uncertainty, Elton thought. Besides, he knew the man he wanted, so why wait? On the face of it, Dave Bassett was the perfect replacement. If not cut from the same cloth as Taylor, their managerial careers were similar. Bassett was born in Stanmore. As a player, he was an unremarkable defensive midfielder who spent most of his career at a semi-professional level. He had been on the books at Watford briefly when Ken Furphy was the manager, then played for Wickham and St Albans before joining Wimbledon. He'd also run a Sunday league team called Hills in the Watford Observer League. Bassett was as uncompromising in the tackle as he was blunt. He thought it was vital to win the war first, then think about playing. In the late 1970s, he was part of the Wimbledon team that was elected to the Football League. He took over from Dario Grady, as manager when the team was already well on course for promotion from the 4th Division, but they were relegated again during Bassett's first full season. Bassett then hauled Watford through the divisions. They reached the top flight even more quickly than Watford had done, taking just four seasons, and when they got to the 1st Division, they didn't merely upset the apple cart, as the Hornets had done, they ransacked the greengrocers. Naturally, there were comparisons between the two clubs because of the speed of their rise, but compared to Wimbledon's raw, aggressive, unrefined style, Watford had been dainty sophisticates. The Dons didn't just play the old up-and-under. They were more likely to hammer it long and bulldoze their way through. 
Wimbledon attracted the same hysterical criticism that had come Watford's way a few years earlier, and although they had some very good players, they were bruising and not particularly easy on the eye. When they came to Vicarage Road in September 1986 and won with a last-minute goal, Wimbledon combined an efficient application of the offside trap with an aggression that flirted with the rules. While Taylor found plenty to admire about the way they refused to be intimidated, he was less sure about the distilled nature of their football. Watford's game was based on an effective formula. Wimbledon's was pure binary. But whatever the aesthetics, it worked. Bassett guided Wimbledon to sixth place in the first division with a concoction of players from the lower reaches of the league and beyond. They were misfits and rebels, and the odd artisan cobbled together for hardly any money at all. The parallels were uncanny. Perhaps it was all a bit too obvious. Like most football supporters, Elton John watched the FA Cup final at home on television that Saturday afternoon in May. Three years earlier, it had been Watford there at Wembley. It could have been again. Elton waited for the game between Tottenham and Coventry to end before reaching for the phone. "'Hello, is Dave there, please?' he said. Bassett's wife, Christine, answered. "'He's not at the moment. He's at the match. He'll be back a bit later. Can I take a message?' "'Can you let him know?' Elton John called. Dave Bassett was forty-two years old, and he ran Wimbledon with Sam Hammam, the chairman, who was a charismatic and eccentric Lebanese businessman. Hammam felt stifled by the boardroom, and liked to mix it with the lads in the dressing-room. Seeing the manager get all the praise for Wimbledon's meteoric rise had got to him and relations soured. "'He felt he wasn't getting the credit, and he was starting to think I was too big for the club.' says Bassett. I've been offered a contract extension at Wimbledon, but we couldn't agree on the wording. It was nothing to do with money, but Hamam wanted a clause that said he could pick the team if he needed to. He said it would never come to that, but he said that if he felt I was working against the club, he should have the right to pick the team. I said, you must be joking. Why on earth would I work against the club? It was nonsense, really, but I wouldn't sign it. Bassett's success at Wimbledon had alerted other clubs. He almost joined Manchester City, but they wanted him to work with the existing coaching staff. He had told City's chairman, Peter Swales, he couldn't work with a load of people he didn't know. They weren't bad blokes, but how would I know to trust them? If I was going to move, I was going to take my people with me. Bassett had left Wimbledon before, shortly after they reached the second division in 1984. It lasted three days. I knew Ron Nodes at Crystal Palace very well. We'd known each other a long time and I'd played with his brother. Ron convinced me Palace was a bigger club with a better stadium and he talked me into it. The next day I thought, what have I done this for? It sounds weak, but Ron talked me into it. I thought about it for a couple of days, rang Ron up and I told him it was a mistake. We'd announced it to the press and the fans, so I knew it was going to look a bit stupid and it bruised my relationship with Ron, but he accepted that I'd made a mistake. I went back to Wimbledon, but Sam never really forgave me for that. Even though I knew it wasn't quite right, I'd allowed myself to be talked into something. I thought then, I'll never do that again. Well, I did do it again. Elton rang another couple of times, and still Bassett wasn't home. In the end, Christine said, You'd better come round. I thought you'd never ask, said Elton. That's great, because we're just round the corner. Elton had already got his driver to pick up Muff Winwood and take them on to Bassett's house in Northwood. He'd made the final call from his car phone. 
Christine was looking after their two young daughters and had bathed them. Now they were in the lounge watching television. Bassett got home from the cup final with fish and chips for the family tucked under his arm. He noticed the limousine parked up on the pavement. Christine answered the door and told me there was someone to see me, says Bassett. To say I was gobsmacked is an understatement. There's Elton John sitting in the lounge chatting to my wife having a cup of tea, his hat on the arm of the armchair with the kids sitting watching Saturday evening telly. Bassett had a pretty good idea why Elton wanted to talk to him, but the Watford chairman wasted no time making his pitch. He explained that Graham Taylor was going to be named Aston Villa manager on the Monday morning and he wanted Bassett to replace him. We had a good chat, but I was mesmerised by Elton, really, says Bassett. He was so persuasive and well forceful. He was a local lad. He was passionate about the team, and although we had a good chat about it, he ended up saying, I want to know tomorrow. He was impatient because Graham was going to be announced as Villa manager on Monday, and the team were due to fly to China on the Tuesday. Elton wanted me, and he was saying how perfect it would be. I was a local lad as well, and it all seemed to make perfect sense even when he told me that John Barnes was leaving. That didn't register with me. I didn't really ask any questions. I didn't ask what the budget would be, what money we'd have for transfers. I just thought, fantastic, I'm going to Watford. That's ideal. I'd been on the books at Watford. It was my first club. My wife was delighted because her father, Tom Carpenter, had played in golf for them. Watford was her team. Elton wanted me to go to the RAC club in London to do a press conference on Monday, and I agreed. I said yes there and then. It was fucking stupid, really, for him to offer it straight away and for me to accept it. It was a monumental error, but I didn't see it and neither did Elton. If I'd thought about it, I'd have said, well, hang on a minute, what's the hurry? We should have talked about it a bit more. We could have agreed a deal, but sat on it until the team came back from China. I mean, Graham hadn't even left yet. The fans had no idea he was going and it was going to be a shock. We should have let the dust settle, let the fans get used to the idea of Graham leaving. He was adored there, and rightly so. The supporters would be in a state of shock. It's like the break-up of a marriage, telling the kids, well, your dad's left, but here's the new fella I'm marrying this afternoon. It was madness. Bassett had no idea Elton was acting autonomously, although Muff Winwood knew. None of the other directors, Jeff Smith, Muir Stratford and Bertie Mee among them, had any idea. They all agreed that Watford should promote from within. They felt John Ward or Steve Harrison should be given a chance, although me also threw the name of Graham Turner, the Wolves manager, into the ring. On Sunday morning, Elton and the chief executive, Eddie Plumley, went to Bassett's house to thrash out the deal. That evening, Bassett and his wife went to a function to mark the end of Wimbledon's season. By now, he had told the rest of his staff, including Alan Gillette, Jeff Taylor and Derek French, that they'd be moving. Derek was the Wimbledon physio, and his wife Anne had lived in Watford. And she said to me, Harry, it won't work. The Watford people won't take to you. You're too much of a Londoner, and you're too blunt, Derek said jokingly. I'll give it a rest. What do you know about football? Well, turns out I should have listened to her instead of him. I'm not blaming Elton, says Bassett. I'm blaming myself. I wasn't political or strategic about it at all. I just looked at it at face value. I saw the club. I liked the club. I liked Elton. It was a bigger club than Wimbledon, and they had been very successful. They played a similar game. I thought it was the perfect move from heaven, particularly as it was just round the corner from my house. But there's no such thing as a perfect move from heaven, and to be honest, it was a disaster from day one. Because the trip to China was only a couple of days away, 
Bassett's first task was to look at a list of players and staff and decide who he wanted to keep and who should be let go. It was the first of a number of awkward situations for Bassett. Before the end of the season, Steve Harrison had been offered a new contract, but he hadn't signed it. He says, Graham had said to me after the season ended, Look, I'm going to go to Villa. If you want to stay and take the chance, sign the contract. If not, I'll take you with me. I told him that I'd come to Watford in the first place because of him, and I'd return because of him, so if he wanted me, I'd go with him. I was surprised he wasn't going to a team in the top division, but it was a big club, and there was a job to be done there. Taylor says, I was accused behind my back of poaching Steve. He'd been offered a new contract and he hadn't signed it. I know people like Muff Winwood thought we'd planned it, but we hadn't. Ward picked himself up off his sickbed and went to Vicarage Road on the Sunday morning. Everything had changed, he says. Steve was joining Villa. Billy Hales was going to China even though he'd been told he was being let go. Bertie Mee called me into a meeting with the board and they told me Dave Bassett was coming in and that Bassett didn't want me. I had gone in to see if they needed any help, and basically I got the sack, and I'm going home at 10.30 without a job. To be fair to Dave, he rang me and he spoke to me. It wasn't a case of him wanting me off the premises before he got there. He had the courtesy to call and tell me he wanted to bring in his own people. I understand that. Most managers want their own people. Having to tell long-serving staff they no longer had a job was something Eddie Plumley did not relish. The incoming manager often wants the previous regime cleared out, which is fair enough, because that's what happens in football, he says. But we had the job of talking to people who had become good friends, people who had worked at the club for a long time. Elton didn't do that. It was Jeff Smith who did that, with me there alongside him. It was not pleasant to do, I can tell you. With hindsight, I should have kept John Ward because he was a good fella, says Bassett. It would have helped a lot to have him around, but I had no time to think. I just had to make a decision. I turned down Manchester City, which was a much bigger club, because they wanted me to work with existing staff. Watford gave me the chance to take my own people, so I took it. On Monday, May the 18th, it was official. Graham Taylor was the new manager of Aston Villa. To many Watford supporters, it's almost a JFK moment. They can remember where they were when they heard the news. It hit them in the pits of their stomach. By the afternoon they knew that Dave Bassett would be taking over. In one day the club had been turned upside down. The King is dead. Long live the King. It was all done with an unseemly haste. There was no opportunity for Taylor to say thanks and farewell for all the good times. As he later admitted to the Watford Observer, it was time to go. He said, for the past year I have been more and more uneasy. I just wasn't challenging myself any more. I didn't feel the buzz. Despite the desire for a fresh challenge, he couldn't suppress the emotions that welled up. There have been a few tears in the privacy of my own house. I did not sleep well on Sunday, knowing I would be attending a press conference at Villa Park. What was I doing in Birmingham? I could go back to the comfort of an area I have grown to love, work at a club where I am in control and very much my own boss. But I knew I was getting bored. In front of the press at the RAC club, Elton and Bassett clinked champagne glasses for the cameras and the chairman said, I feel like a kid again. Bassett smiled, 
but already had reservations, just as he had when he left Wimbledon for Palace. But this time he knew there was no way back. He dived in head first. Now he had to make the best of it. End of chapter 25 Next time Every fairy tale has to come to an end sometime